All right, my dear friends, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we read today's passage from the Bible. Standing to our feet is just a sign that we are honoring that this is the Word of God. I'm reading from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at themselves in the mirror and then after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thanks, Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to summer. I I have my flip-flops back on again, and uh, I I love these Indian summers. So if you don't, um, that's okay, you know? We can agree to disagree, right? Hey, before we get on into the message, I just want to remind you we're looking for a few good people to help out in our harvest party. And so there's a a sign-up out there in the patio. And I love the fact that we have something about the arts. You know, a lot of Christians uh, are are not aware of our history. But uh, one of the reasons why there is so much art uh, in the Western world is because of the church. Um, You know, it's more recently that the church said, oh, we don't care about art. We only care about Jesus, you know, and forgetting that he's the consummate artist. He's the consummate musician. He's, he, he's the artist. And so, uh, and, and ultimately, both these vehicles, uh, the Harvest Party and the night regarding the art, end up being avenues into our community. If you ask yourself, how many people woke up today and said, honey, I'm feeling church today. Are you feeling church uh, you know, you said one in a hundred, one in a thousand. Uh, you know, if, that, if that's the, our only way of reaching the lost is to hope they wake up and feel church. You know, we're gonna we're gonna wait a long time. So we we always have to be thinking about how to reach our neighbors with the love of Jesus. So those are two ways to get involved. This morning, we are in the book of James, and I love the book of James. You are a brave person. Uh, The book of James just kind of pushes you right onto the ropes, and and once you get the wind knocked out of you, it doesn't matter. He keeps coming in and and working you some more, so you are brave to be here. 
the Bible actually has the intent of changing you, um, not just for us to nod and curtsy and say, wonderful message, pastor, but actually to change us. So it's a scary book uh, for those of us that didn't think about changing. So I'll just take a moment, we'll pray and close our eyes, and if you want to run out the door, uh, <laughs> run away, run away, I'm joking with you, uh, because we all need changing, don't we? And the other thing I want to say about that is, you know, because of knowing who I am, that there is tons of grace here today, tons of grace for um, God's patience and His kindness with all of us, because some of us change real quickly, and others of us are more like me, are very stubborn, and say, what, me, change, like what, you know? So, uh, but God's work in our lives is to transform you. That's biblical. Not just to get your soul into heaven. That's awesome. It's guaranteed. The blood of Jesus. But actually, uh, to transform us. That's a biblical word used twice. And he doesn't just transform us in the self-help kind of way. Like you just become a more beautiful you. But so that you will love others more effectively the way Christ has loved you, right? Tag, you're it, and now you get to go. So that's where he's taken us. But he's going to meddle in your life today. Are you okay with that? Jesus, come and speak to us, we pray in your name. Amen. So he begins in verse 19 of chapter 1, James. Remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus. So we don't know his age and relationship to Jesus' uh, birth, whether he was two years younger or eight years or 12 years. We have no idea how much younger he was than Jesus. If, it, if you're struggling with the half-brother part, uh, just think about that. They shared the same mother. I'll give you that hint. <laughs> so he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So here it is. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You and I are largely unaware of how we relate to others. We just do. We go through life. Uh, maybe we get the Enneagram done on us or some personality profile and we just that's just who I am and that's just what I do and that's and but uh, how we relate to other people is largely a blind spot to us we just do it until we get married <laughs> until we have a close friend that says are you aware of the fact that you always or until you decide to follow Jesus. Then your life is suddenly not your own for you to just do whatever you want whenever you want it. There are others in our world. And the question is, how do we relate to the others in our world? So the first thing James says is to be eager to listen. Like I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. I'm all ears. 
we were just visiting family up in the northwest, and I was noticing uh, whether we were in uh, Pulse Falls, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, or whether we were in Seattle, that because we hadn't seen each other for so long, and we have so much in common, and we're both talking that we could hardly wait for them to shut up so we could talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah, 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 me, 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 too. Are you done? Because I want to talk. Uh, but the Bible encourages us to not just be that, because there's nothing uniquely Christian about that, but to be slow, I mean, quick to listen eager to listen. I want to hear what you, I already know what I think. You know, I just celebrated my 70th birthday. And, you know, I'll tell you more about that later, but, you know, I am so done on me. I already know what I think. So, you know, it's like, anybody else want to get up and preach here? We're so quick to talk, but others not only have something to say, but they have a piece of the puzzle that I don't have. You know, there's seven billion pieces of the puzzle that I still want to learn. You've lived a life that I haven't lived. You've learned and seen things from a perspective that I don't have. And the biggest point is that you're made in the image of God. So I need, I need to give you huge honor and hear what you have to say, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, which is the opposite, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. A friend of mine, I'm sure he got it from somewhere else, but always said to me, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> Pay attention, Mark. Two ears, one mouth for a reason. Because you and I, every week we hear preachers, which is kind of a monologue, we think that when we grow up and become like Jesus, we also will be preachers. And we carry our little pulpits into our conversations around. And, and now we do it on social media. And um, preaching and teaching and correcting. And, and I'm sure they all love it, right? I uh, run away from preachers. You know, I just, if I'm with another preacher and they start doing that to me, we're having lunch, I say, hey, just stop. I do this for a living. Stop. I don't need a, a monologue. Let's, let's just relax and have a conversation. So slow, slow, slow to speak and quick to listen. That's hard. Because there's something in me that just, well, I just think, well, what you need to know, when are they going to find, and, and it's just this little thing in me. But James is actually telling us that we have the throttle. We don't have to just talk. And especially, he's 
getting to something more important, and that is the issue of anger. And this is where I think James is actually heading towards in this conversation, because he says, let's go back to the, the verse. He says, because, verse 29, or verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What part of this do we not understand? We live in an angry age. Are you with me? I, you know, we used to say back in the 60s, uh, stop the stop the bus. I want to get off. Wow, do I ever want to get off of this planet right now? It's just, I think everyone's lost their minds. They just, they're either fearful or they're telling everyone else to stop being fearful. And, um, but every, everyone seems to be real angry. We were with some friends up in the Northwest, and one is extremely blue in his politics. The other one is extremely libertarian in his politics. So, the blue sees someone walk into the room and yells at him and says, Wear your mask! And the other one says, Don't say that. This is my house. And I thought, Whoa, don't breathe because everyone seems to be so angry. Now, I know you probably think that I'm meddling at this point. But if you ask yourself, what is the devil really doing right now in America? No, it's, it's something more than fear. It's division. And this is not a new ploy of the devil. This is 2,000 years old. Unity is not... The idea of everyone finally agreeing. So we run up to people and say, agree with me in anger. Or if you don't agree with me, I have to divide and separate from you because I'm so right and you're so wrong. There's nothing uniquely Christian about that. To be a Christian is not just to believe and go to heaven. To be a Christian is not just to believe and to be in, opinionated and go to heaven. To be a Christian is not just to believe, to be opinionated, and to be angry at the other people that are ruining the planet. To be a Christian is to believe in Jesus and to become loving the way Jesus loved, and that includes unity with people that think differently. Otherwise, we have to rip out huge portions of our Bible that tell us. I mean, Jesus, his last prayer. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. You and me and I and them and all of us united. I used to think, poor Jesus. No one gets their prayer answered all the time, including Jesus. But I believe that what God is doing today in the church is bigger than what we think. 
we think that as soon as everyone votes like me, then we'll be there. As soon as we begin to do Jesus and know the kingdom of God is bigger than the kingdoms of this planet and begin to obey him, which includes love. So he, he really speaks to us about our anger here. What do we do with it? How do we respond? How we respond to other people is as important as what we believe and what we think. Now, let me just answer a couple of people because I, I know what you're already thinking. Some of us are thinking, well, I don't get angry. I never yell. Anger in Scripture is not yelling. Anger in Scripture can be silent simmering. It's just stewing over someone else. Others of us are thinking, what about Jesus? He kicked out, he cleansed the temple, and he kind of did it with anger. First of all, let's be cautious about equating ourselves with Jesus. <laughs> he was angry, I'm angry. You know, me and Jesus. Really. Um, <laughs> it's not a good place to begin. <laughs> but the other part is the Bible says in Ephesians 4, in your anger, don't sin. And that's what James is talking about unresolved simmering that ends up leading to sin. So the emphasis of Scripture is all heavy weighted on being patient, being kind, being gentle, being forbearing, being forgiving. I mean, the Scriptures and the fruit of the Spirit is way heavy on this side, but America Christians are way heavy on the side of her. So we can grow up and become way more like Jesus. Exodus 34 said, regarding God himself, who has every right to be angry, said, I am the Lord, the Lord, the gracious compassionate, forgiving, loving, maintaining love for thousands, forgiving wickedness. He is that guy. And, and he wants us to love others. So it's not like as soon as you can think like me and be like me, we, can, we could really be loving. There's nothing uniquely Christian. What is uniquely Christian is for me to love you, and you don't have to be me. Thank God there isn't any more Mark Foremans in the world. Thank God. <laughs> so we don't wait for them to be like me, and it doesn't dismiss the issues. We're always going to have our opinions and beliefs, but... The one big one is we can't give up Jesus, we can't give up the gospel, and we can't give up loving. We can't give up unity, right? I mean, it's just Bible 101. So what do I do with my anger? 
if, if, if you're married, you've experienced anger. If, if you've never experienced anger, you're lying. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, let me help you. I'm going to give you eight tips, and they're in your notes. Number one, where does anger come from? Either a hurt or an offense that touches me personally. So, step number two is I have to decide, is this a major or a minor? Because we're all going to be offended, right? I mean, just drive the five and you're going to be offended. So, we have to decide, is this, a, is this a major or is this a minor? And that's part of adulting, is learning the difference. If everything is a major, then to be around you is to, to walk on eggshells. Because we don't want to set you off because everything is a major. But some things are majors, right? So what do we do? So that is step two is to decide, is this worth talking about? And you have to have courage to step into, into the conversation and say, hey, can we have a conversation? There's a great book that David Augsburger wrote 20 years ago called Caring Enough to Confront. And that book really helps maybe the more timid people to know how, and also more aggressive people to know how to pull back on the reins of how uh, to confront. Number three, we confront always in love and kindness. It's not like, okay, I'm going to just throw out love and kindness because I got to give you the what for. No, kindness is always appropriate. Respect and dignity. And so uh, we don't need to yell. Uh, that's where number four, in your anger, don't sin. So how we confront is as important as the issue itself. Number five, pick the subject. What I mean by that is boil it down because usually it's way too amorphous. Well, you just always and you never. By the way, never use those words. You, you know, you always, you never. But boil it down so uh, someone understands what the issue is. Number six, pick the time and place. It's usually not at midnight. Christians have made this mistake for years of just, well, the Bible says don't go to bed on your anger, so I'm about to fulfill Scripture on you. <laughs> it's not what Proverbs is talking about there. It is, it's poetically saying, don't let it linger, resolve it. It doesn't mean do it at 1 a.m. So pick the time and the place. You know, usually for me, uh, when something really gets to me, I can't even talk about it that day. You know, I, I, I don't trust myself. So I'll say something like, hey, love to talk about this. You can tell that it bothered me. Uh, what are you doing on Thursday? 
how about let's grab some lunch on Thursday? And, and by that time, I, I have perspective. I've figured it out. And, uh, and then number seven, pick the tone and the style. I used to wear a bracelet that said, what would Clint Eastwood do if he were here? <laughs> Make my day. You know, forget the what would Jesus do. It's not a good style. How you confront really matters. I can't hear you because of the tone. Um, some people pick big. Some people pick loud. Uh, you know, they turn into monsters when they get angry. Warr! You know. And then there's the others that get real snippy. Like little chihuahuas, you know, nipping at your... All of that is bad style. And then number eight, predecide that division is not an option. It's not an option. Well, so I can't be around you the rest of my life. It's just not an option. So how do we do this? Well, we can, A, agree to disagree and, and go on. B, let's meet again and talk about this. C, maybe if we just give it time, we'll grow up before we grow old. But if, if we decide, so, we're going to just be like every other person and split up. It just, there's nothing uniquely Christian about that. So what do we do? Forgiveness, patience, mercy, those are the antidotes to anger. You know, when I was uh, first growing in my faith in Christ, I came across Exodus 34. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is uh, maybe the first occurrence of forgiveness in Scripture where Israel has, they have rebelled against God. They've worshipped a golden calf. And Moses, in his anger, has thrown down the tablets and broken the Ten Commandments. It's a bad day. And Moses goes up onto the mountain to see if we can work this thing out. He says, I don't know. I don't know if this, I don't, we, we've never confronted this before. Uh, maybe you're torched, you're, you're done, I don't know. And so he goes up onto the mountain, and God says that he will be with the nation Israel. And Moses says, then let me see your glory. And so God passes by Moses, and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the gracious, undeserved love, the compassionate. I get it. It's hard to be you. Uh, number three, uh, loving Number four, keeps loving. And number five, he forgives. Now, what part of that do you not want from God? You need it all, right? You need all the forgiveness, all the love. And that's what he's now asking us to do for others. So, uh, that's the mouth. Jesus changes you in how we relate to others. Secondly... 
He changes how we interact with the word of God. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that so, is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Kind of a businessman approach. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looked like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that is the word that gives freedom, not takes away, but gives you freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So it changes you and I in how we relate to the word of God. The, uh, Muhammad, when he was inventing Islam... He called Christians and Jews the people of the book because he noticed as an Arab that these people are people of the, we are people of the book. There is no, I cannot just do what I want. I'm a person of this book. So what does this book tell me? He says in verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. What's shocking here is it's tied, first of all, to anger. Have you ever thought of anger being moral filth? No, we're, we normally use moral to just apply to sexual aberration. But a misuse of anger and the tongue, James says, is excess evil. That's actually what the word there is. Moral filth. Because I read that, I said, what is that? And, and I researched it, and it's actually uh, excess evil. It's used, this word is actually used as a medical term in the, in the second century B.C. for People who produce excess earwax. Not that that's you or me. Excess earwax. It's like, oh. And that's what anger is considered. It's, it's excess evil. And so he says, just get rid of all excess evil. Instead, grow and listen to the word of God. Not just read it and forget about it. But become pragmatic and do what the Bible tells you to do. Now, two things to just note. One is that as you and I obey the word of God, we are set free. The law of freedom, that's what he calls it. Have you ever thought about that? When I was a, a BC person, before I came to Christ, I thought of the Bible as a bunch of rules. Ah, you got to do this, you got to do that, you can't do that, you can't do, you can't dance, you can't, you know, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I, I saw the Bible as the law of restriction. But the best perception of the Bible is the law of freedom. About every three or four years, we hear horrible screeching of tires here up on this campus. And there's an accident that happens right down here 
on poinsettia and aviara. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And it's always someone decided that the red light was restricting their freedom. They ran the red light and someone else was honoring the green light. Obviously, they didn't see it. And it's a horrible, horrible accident. Laws are not just restrictive. They're actually free. You know, I go by there and you know what? I never get hit. It sets me free. And there's a lot of things that are like that in life. Where I want to overeat. I want to overdo this and not do enough of that. And, and this book guides me into full freedom. Now, I love the image that it gives us of the mirror. Because it's not what we re- expect. We expect uh, the Bible to be called, as it is in Hebrews, a sword. Right? My name is Inigo Montoyo, prepared to die. I've got the double-edged sword. I'm prepared to stab you with it. Uh, The word of God is called a treasure. The word of God is called a guidepost. So we're not expecting the word of God to be called a mirror. But what a beautiful image James gives us. When you and I wake up in the morning and we study the Bible, just a little smidget of it. You're seeing God as he is, and you're seeing yourself as you are, loved by Jesus Christ, forgiven by Jesus Christ, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Because we will go away and forget all that and behave like we were before we met Jesus, right? So James says, don't forget who God says that you are. So, when I seven, celebrated my 70th last month, uh, I, 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 Jan says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I, won't, I want to go surfing, first of all, because, I, you know, I remember when I was 40, seeing a guy out there 70 surfing, and it looked like he took him an hour to stand up. <laughs> you know, he had a helmet on, and it was just like, whoa. And I thought, is that like an 18-foot board? And, and so I was like, whoa, I hope he makes it, I hope he makes And I wanted to get out and just tell myself that at 70, you know, I'm not great, as Josh can attest, but I'm, I'm okay. I can just go down the line. I wanted to do that, and then Jan surprised me with, let's go jet skiing in, in, in the back, in the harbor, San Diego Harbor. And uh, so that's what we did. But one of the things that's hard about turning 70 is looking in the mirror. You know, yeah, that's right. Just don't look. (laughs) There you go. So when I look in the mirror now, I, I look so different. Then when I was 18, with long, brownish, blonde hair, down to here. I looked so different than when I was a young surfer and just flipping my hair back like this. (laughs) So I look at myself now, and I think, okay, that's who I am now, right? 
Now, can you imagine if I was standing here preaching, and now I've already forgotten what I saw this morning, and I'm doing what I was doing at 18, pulling my hair back while I talk to you into kind of a ponytail. You would be looking at me and say, what is he doing? Or if every time I look down at my notes and I look up at you, I flip my hair back like this. <laughs> You'd say, what is he doing? You would say, you need to look in the mirror. Folks, I turn it back on you. You need to look in the mirror. You're not angry anymore. Look in the mirror. You're not unforgiving anymore. Look in the mirror. You're not condemning and judgmental anymore. Look in the mirror. You're not snippy and darn right anymore. Look in the mirror. You look like Jesus. More and more. Look in the mirror. So James closes here with some, just a beautiful reminder, those who consider themselves religious, if you're spiritual, and yet you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you're deceiving yourself. My mom used to say, zip it, Mark. <laughs> he says, your religion is worthless. Because it's, it's where it touches home in our lives. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Widows and orphans are the people who need your help. So it changes the religious paradigm. Rather than being the people that are just so right and so judgmental about everything in life, we are the people that say, hey, I'm here for you because Jesus was here for me. I don't care if you vote like me, look like me, think like, I don't care. I want to help you because I want you and me to one day look like Jesus. You guys have been amazing during these two years of COVID. And I just want to remind you of how you have cared for the widows and orphans. I asked Bob McKenzie to give me an accounting of what you have done. It's really not even the last 24, it's 18 months. You guys have given 52,000 pounds of food to those in need in North Coastal County and San Diego. 52,000, and hundreds of you were here to unload the food and package the food and to send the food and to give the food away. You, through that, have served 16,000 widows and orphans, people in need. The Emergency Relief Fund, you have given $172,000 
to people in need. During COVID, people in our church who lost their jobs, who had to be repositioned, had to be retrained. What are we going to do to keep the lights on? What this, 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 this. You have given $600,000 to help people here. And it gets better that you have given money to help widows and orphans in India, real literal widows and orphans in India, Cambodia, and Thailand, and Nepal. And most recently, as we were trying to help primarily women, some men in Afghanistan who have converted from Islam to Christianity and their names were given to the Taliban. Obviously not wise, but nevertheless, they were marked to be killed. You have given over $200,000 to help us rescue them out of Afghanistan. And we already have 54 out. And... And 34 more are in process of being rescued because of you. That's, that's the best of religion, don't you think? Mm. Mm. So we can shine in these days, folks. You, we can shine. Uh, we, can, we can be on social media and go... But that's not uniquely Christian. We can tell everybody how they think wrong and how they act wrong and they, how they be wrong. That's not uniquely Christian. But what we can do is be incarnational as Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't come to the manger? and enter into humanity, enter into our world? If he just sat up in heaven and said, you know, you eat the wrong food. <laughs> you know, your language will never be angelic. <laughs> he came and he entered into all of our culture. And then he loved us as we are. And look at, here we are. And so now he says... Tag, you're it. Let's stand. In 50 years of ministry, the last two years has been the hardest for me. Without even planting churches for six years in Boston, this tops it all. The harshness, the division, the darn rightness, but I'm not discouraged because God told me at the beginning of this he said don't look to the left or the right wait for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is what we look for the gospel the grace of Jesus Christ and you and I have looked in the mirror today haven't we you're gorgeous you're handsome you have all your hair. <laughs> you're young and you're beautiful.
You're not always talking. You're listening. And you're not angry. Because you know God's bigger. God's going to settle a lot of things when He comes, right? There is a God, and it is not you. So, at ease. Chill out. You have a lot of extra time on your hands. And we now get to go and love those in need and help them. In word and deed, we get to go do the gospel, as James commanded us. So you have seen the mirror today. That's who you are. And now go live it. No more. So, Father, be with us. Anoint us to be little Jesuses on planet Earth. Thank you for coming. Thank you for loving us as we were, for forgiving us, for being gentle and kind with us, befriending us in our lostness. for never leaving us, for never forsaking us, and for being with us always. And now, Lord, we want to be those kind of people. Anoint us for this, in this day, in this time, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Love you guys. Great to be with you. If you have some unresolved issues, we would love to pray for you and help leave them at the altar. God bless you.